So we've been working our way through the book of First John, and we're going to be back in First John tonight. So I invite you to open your Bibles with me to First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Now, you may remember by now, because we've been doing this for, I don't know, quite a number of weeks, something like 11 or 12 weeks, that John is writing to answer a what key question. How do we know if we know Christ? Not how do we come to know Christ through faith in him, but how can we know, how can we have confidence that we do know him? And he's doing this in part because of a false teaching that was there in that first century church, a teaching called Gnosticism, which said that you need some sort of higher knowledge, not just the gospel itself, but, but a higher form of knowledge to know Jesus Christ. And so he writes this and he says, there are three tests to help us know if we know Christ. Uh, the first is the truth test. Do you believe the truth about Jesus as he's revealed to us in the scripture? In other words, do you believe the gospel as it's given to us in the word of God, that by trusting Christ and Christ alone, you can be saved from your sin? A second test is the life test. Does your life demonstrate or show that you know Christ? Do you live in a way that shows that you belong to Christ? The third test is the love test. Do you love the family of God? Do you love the brothers and sisters of God, brothers and sisters uh, in Christ? And so these three tests he works through. And in this week's passage, he again dives into uh, these tests. He hits one pretty hard and kind of dips into a second one as well. So we'll be in 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. So we did uh, 3, 4, 5, 6 last week. We'll do verses 7 through 10 this week. So I'll begin reading in 1 John 3, verse 7. John writes, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Uh, so we start out here, and John encourages us not to be deceived. Now, if we, if we examine what he's saying here, how do you think, as John, John is saying, that we could possibly be deceived? So if we look on the verse, he says, don't be deceived. And then he begins talking about practicing righteousness and being righteous. So it seems that what he's getting at is the idea that it's possible that we could think we're righteous when we're actually not. So that's the deception he's, he's getting at here. Someone who might think that, that they know Christ, but actually doesn't. He says, don't be deceived. So how then is it that we can know if we're actually righteous? Well, that's what he says in the second part of the verse, whoever does what? Practices or does righteousness. So how can we know if we're righteous? We live in a righteous way. So which test is he getting at here? Second test, right? The life test. Do you live in a way that shows that you know Jesus? Now we get into some tricky waters here because if you know anything about human nature or frankly your life in the last 24, 48, 72 hours, you know that no one is perfectly righteous as Jesus is righteous. So when John says that if you practice righteousness, 
you are righteous as Christ is righteous. How are we to make sense of this? And here we get to one of the most important doctrines in Scripture, and it relates to how Christ's righteousness comes to us. And so uh, this conversation was at the heart of the conflict that Martin Luther had with the Roman Catholic Church uh, back in the 16th century in the Protestant Reformation. And so he's reading through his Bible, and he comes to Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And then he begins to understand righteousness is not a righteousness that we earn, but a righteousness, and the word is that it's imputed to us or credited or counted to us. So the way that we are righteous or seen as righteous is the righteousness of another, namely Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ's righteousness is credited to us. So we're not made righteous by what we do, but living a righteous life or living a, a life that looks right or acts right or is right with God shows that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. And so in terms of doctrine, the Roman Catholic Church got kind of got, got, not kind of, but got the cart before the horse. What they said is, you get righteousness by earning it. What scripture teaches, particularly in the book of Romans, is that you can ever earn righteousness in God's eyes. It must be a gift to you. God must give it to you. And if he gives it to you by faith in Christ, then you live in a way that shows that you know Jesus. And so John's getting at that second part here. And so uh, John is using righteousness, and Scripture does this. Righteousness is used in a couple of different ways. Paul tends to use it in a legal sense. Are you declared righteous in a court of law? Paul here, or John here, uses it in a different sense. And that is, John says, this kind of righteousness is a practical or a lived out righteousness. And there's a connection between legal righteousness, we're made, declared righteous in Christ, and our practical righteousness, do we live as if we know Christ? All right, so let's go on, see what he says in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So how can you know if you are of the devil? Well, if you make a practice of sinning. Now, it gets real scary here because we're all pretty practiced sinners, even if we, if we know Christ. So what, is he, what does he mean here? What does it mean to be of the devil? Is this some kind of extremely, specially evil person? No, John's creating categories, and it's not ultimately about who's really good and who's really bad, because God's word tells us we're all sinners. But what he's talking about is those who are of Christ and those who are not. So if you are of Christ, you are not of the devil. But if you are of the devil, you cannot be of Christ. The two cannot mix. Uh, you might put it this way. You know who your daddy is by how you act. In, in other words, uh, in, in, a, in a typical family, there are expect, family expectations. Uh, so we try, and I will say with mixed success feels very optimistic, but we try, work hard to teach our kids to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, to be, to be polite to adults. Well, that's, that's not a written, it's not the 11th commandment, but it's something that in terms of family expectations that we, we try to practice. Not everyone does, and that's, that's fine. But there's, there's, an expecta there's a family expectation. And what John is getting at here is 
there, there are characteristics, family characteristics or expectations that our Heavenly Father has for us. So if you act righteously or if you live out righteous actions, it's demonstrating, it's, it's the fruit, it's the life of a child of God. But if you practice sinning or you live constantly sinfully, it's the fruit of the devil. Now, for most of history, so we live, we live in an age where we're taught um, both culturally as well as, you know, I don't know, you can uh, just entertainment. You can be anything that you want to be. You put your mind to it, some determination, and you can do it. But for most of history, before the last, um, since the Industrial Revolution, how was your vocation determined? Well, if your dad was a blacksmith, what did you do? You became a blacksmith. If your dad was a farmer, what did you do? You were a farmer because you're the son of a farmer. That's a trade you learn. That's the tools you have. That You have the access to that. Uh, today, we have access uh, to more vocations, uh, more information. And so, some level, we have a choice. But your parentage historically often determined what you did. And so here what we see is our heavenly parentage determines what we do. Well, why is it that Jesus came at the end of verse 8? To destroy the works of the devil. So the work of the devil is undoing God's good creation. It's breaking what God has created good and leading people to sin. And so the devil brought this curse. Now, God pronounced the curse in judgment on sin, but it was Satan who, who, who introduced this into creation. And Jesus' work, then, is curse-reversing. It's reversing the effects of what Satan has done. It's repairing, restoring creation through redemption, reversing the effects of the curse. First on us in sin, and ultimately, he's going to redeem all creation, a new heaven and a new earth. So there are basically two fathers, two parents, two dads, two daddies in this passage. One is knowing God, God your father, and the other is you're of the devil. And so if you're in Christ, then you're of your father, the heavenly father. If you're not in Christ, then you have a different father. So let's look at verse nine. So how do we know if we're of God, if God is our father? No one, he says, born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed Abide in, abides in him. So how do we know if God is our father? We don't make a practice of sinning. So what does this verse teach us about those who follow Jesus? It tells us they act like they're God's kids. In other words, it doesn't mean we do it perfectly, but at some level we try to understand what are God's expectations for his children. And so God has very clear expectations for us in his word, and we try as best we can to live that out. So the text says, no one born of God sins, literally. So what do you do if you do make a practice of sinning? Or what if you do sin? Well, the alternative here is pretty clear. You don't know Jesus is what he says. So it is not hard to understand what John is teaching. He's teaching, if you sin, you don't know God. That's not hard to see. That, that's clear. But what is hard to understand is that John states this really, really absolutely, because we still all sin. And so it's a little bit tough here to reconcile, but we have to remember what he has already taught. And we've, we've wrestled with this a couple times in this book. So what about the fact that we still sin? 
he's already kind of given us an answer. First John 1 verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. Okay, so we can't deny that we sin, but at the same time, there's this characteristic of God's children where we live righteously. So what's the answer? How are we to make sense of this? Only by living in Christ and in his sinlessness, in the imputed righteousness of Christ, can we not sin? So those who continually live in sin demonstrate that they aren't in Christ. So if we live in Christ and his righteousness, then we live in, 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 in a relationship with Christ that looks like Christ. In other words, you might say a genuine believer does not live in continual unrepentant sin. So the difference between those who are in Christ and those who aren't in Christ is that those who aren't in Christ don't repent of their sin, don't turn from their sin, don't confess it. And those who are in Christ admit it and repent of it, turn from it. And this is, this is what he taught him in, in uh, chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So the difference between those who are in Christ and sin and those who are not in Christ and sin sometimes is, uh, you'd say the lifestyle, the level of sin. The other is how we respond to our sin. In other words, does our sin uh, grieve us? Does, our sin, does, does the Spirit of God convict us when we sin? Or is there a pattern of sort of callous, mindless, persisting in sin as though God isn't our Father, as though the Spirit of God doesn't live in us, as though Christ didn't die for these very sins? So the key is recognizing that we must be repenting humble sinners before God. It's sort of like uh, Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the people who recognize that their biggest problem is their own sin, not someone else's. It's, it's the speck in the beam. So we're not walking around saying sinner, 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 sinner. We're like Paul saying, I'm the chief of sinners. Because we recognize we don't deserve God's grace. We don't, we don't, we can't earn this forgiveness. It's, it's a gift of God to us. And in gratitude for what God has done, in light of what God has done, we live in a way that shows that God has done this. So we live as repenting sinners and we run to Jesus, who as 1 John chapter 2 says, is the propitiation for our sin, the one who satisfies God's judgment against our sin. So verse 10, by this, he says, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So I told you he hits uh, one of these three tests really hard. That's the life test. Do you live like you know Jesus? And right here at the end, he introduces the third test, the love test, loving your brother. So here in one verse, John summarizes his argument from these last three verses. You know you are a child of God if you live a righteous life, if you do not practice, don't make a practice of sinning. And so for us as Christians, the point, the, the, the right question to ask isn't how much sin can I become, how, how much sin can I commit and know I'm a child of God? The right question is how should a child of God act and then live that way? And then when we sin, to confess and repent and we can run to God and rejoice that through the blood of Christ, our sin is forgiven. But we shouldn't, as a child of God, live as if God doesn't care if we sin. God doesn't care about our sin. 
God is a father who does care about his children. So after summarizing this righteousness argument, he then closes with this, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In other words, he says, you aren't a child of God if you don't love the family of God, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you are someone who claims to be a Christian but doesn't regularly gather for worship, isn't regularly present at the family meal around the word of God, eh, you probably ought to take a look at that. If you're someone who uh, doesn't commit to a local church and commit to loving the people in, in that church, it might be kind of pause and take a look at that. Or if you don't love the broader church of Christ, if there's no love in you for um, Christian mission, if there's no love in you for um, Christians, even of other denominations who practice, what John says is that we love the brothers. So ultimately what we see here is that if we are in Christ, we live as if we know Christ, we stay committed to the gospel, and then we live and love in a way that shows that God is our father and that we are part of God's family. That, John says here, is how you can know if you know Christ. Do you live in a way that shows that God is your father and that you love your brothers and sisters? All right, let me close this in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the way that it reaches right into our lives and uh, both confronts us in our sin, but God encourages, encourages us in our relationship with you. And I thank you that ultimately, for those who are in Christ, that there is nothing no power in heaven or in earth that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. So God, help us as your children to live our faith out, to act as if we're your children. And God, help us also have the courage to share this good news, the good news that Jesus saves sinners with the people around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.